0: Our Innistrad set review and the unrestriction of factor fiction on episode 8 of So Many Insane Plays. Welcome to episode 8 of So Many Insane Plays. I'm Kevin Crone with Stephen Menendian. Hi, folks. This week we're talking more about Innistrad, since we've got the full spoiler. We're going to feature a handful of cards that we think will have an impact on vintage. And we're going to discuss the momentous unrestriction of Factor fiction. Oh, yeah. As we go through the show, if you have any comments or questions, you can tweet us at Plays or email us at SoManyInsanePlaysPodcast at gmail.com. First up, announcements and the banned and restricted list changes are top, changes. Of our, yeah, top of everyone's mind. Uh, of course, there are many, many changes in the modern front, and those have been discussed at great length. They're shaping that format. I don't think we really need to address those. Mm-hmm. But Legacy and Vintage both had changes. Mm-hmm. First, Mental Misstep Banned and Legacy, which some, a lot of people were anticipating, but it was not a sure thing. What do you think about that change?
1: Well, I think it's important to put it in context. Since the format was created, there have been, what, two bannings that weren't as a result of errata? So Flash Survival, and Flash and, and Time Vault were both banned, but because of consequences of errata. There you go. Um, so Survival and Mystical Tutor are the only cards yeah. that have been otherwise banned in the format's now seven-year history.
0: And Mental Misstep certainly falls more into the survival category than she that she Mystical was Tutor. was banned.
1: I stand corrected. I think Scheherazade uh-huh. was also banned. Uh-huh. But for the reasons. That yeah. one should
0: never count. <laughs> yeah.
1: Right. So Mi- Mystical Tutor and Survival defense were both banned, presumably because of format dominance. Has anything else been banned?
0: Not that I can think of offhand. There it were cards that were like Goblin
1: Lackey, you know, thing, things w- people talk right, about. Right, but like.
0: that was all part of the initial setup.
1: Right. No, Goblin Lackey was not banned.
0: It was no, uh, Right, but everything you're thinking of yeah, was part of the initial, initial setup, setup or the reconfiguration of the format.
1: Right, and so I mean it's it's really surprising. I think it's surprising that they would ban a card in Legacy, period, because they haven't banned a card in a long time. But it's not surprising in the sense that mental missteps seem to be everywhere in Legacy Top 8s. It's
0: the only word I can think to describe it is simply oppressive. <laughs> it, it, it was not the card, it was not the title card the of any deck. The the card. No, no, I mean the card. There was, there was no mental misstep deck in Legacy, just like yeah. there was a survival deck right. and there it was is, ostensibly a mystical tutor right. deck. It's a just, mystical tutor decks. It's yeah. just the card was so good and so obvious to be played in almost every deck that was any good. Yeah. And it was just well, oppressive.
1: Well, Brian Brian DeMars called me last week, and he said, here's my prediction for the Legacy bannings. Are you ready? I said, are you ready? <laughs> sure, Brian, fire. He said he thought they were going to ban Middle Misstep, Brainstorm, Dark Ritual, and Lion's Eye Diamond.
0: Wow. Bold and, prediction. And it
1: was bold. And I told him, I said, Brian, in the history of the format, they haven't banned more than one card at a time. I would be shocked if they banned more than two cards and surprised if they banned more than one. Yeah. But I would not be surprised if they banned either Mental Misstep or Brainstorm. So I was not surprised to see them ban this. Yeah. I think, though, you know, Mental Misstep, the, the rationale for it is pretty simple to articulate. One you just said, it's just it was omnipresent. But more than that, more than just showing up in, like, seven out of eight decks, is the fact that it seemed to drive out non-blue decks from the format entirely. Right. So you had you know, basically every deck, seven out of eight decks in the in the Legacy Top Eight were had blue in them mm-hmm. in non-trivial quantities. And so by driving out non-blue decks, it made the format predominantly blue. Now, one might say, that why is that really a problem? I mean, most of the Legacy decks are two, three, or four-color decks. You know, blue is one color. That doesn't mean other colors aren't being played.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, but the DCI apparently felt it was a problem because it was, dri- it was reducing the diversity of the format. Of course, I think... The, a better choice would have been to ban Brainstorm.
0: I think that's certainly a defensible position. Uh, Brainstorm is much less proximate to victory, so people are much less likely to attribute its oppressiveness than the way Mental Misstep did. Mental Misstep, if I misstep your turn one lackey, that just tells people, oh, Goblins is unplayable. Right, right. With brainstorm, though, it's so subtle. It's so yes. subtle how it contributes to blue's dominance in that format and pushes out all the other colors, like you said.
1: Well, we can't imagine what their pro- thought process was. I mean, certainly they looked at data and they said, "We don't like where legacy's trending," mm-hmm. and they probably identified mental misstep as the proximate cause, mm-hmm. saying, "This is the this is before mental missteps, things seem to be good. Afterwards, <laughs> right, be bad." But I think that, you know, first of all, mental misstep is a counterspell. Mm-hmm. Now, I realize it's banned and modern, which mm-hmm. doesn't really mean much. I mean, maybe they had to ban it, maybe they didn't. It's what now? Is it banned and extended?
0: Uh, yes, it was banned and extended. So too, the, only formats, I'll, I'll double check.
1: the only formats it's now legal in are vintage and standard. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's sort of strange book ending. That's uh, right. <laughs> um, but in any case, I think that, um, I think that you know, if you just put the two cards, if for some reason the DCI had come to the conclusion you know, reduce their options to banning Mental up or banning Brainstorm, I think the the question becomes much more obvious in terms of banning Brainstorm. Because one says, draw three cards on it, Mm -hmm. and the other says, counter a spell. Right. And a very conditional sort of spell.
0: Well, and they're on record in a number of cases across multiple formats as saying that they they make those kind of decisions based on what's fun for players. Right. Now, a free counter spell has very powerful... Yeah. Uh, very powerful, evocative feelings in terms of fun for spikes versus Johnny's and Timmy's. But it also
1: has. But it, I mean, if t- people like interactivity, you know, Counter Spell inherently <laughs> generates interactivity, not just yeah. because it goes on the stack, but because it lengthens the game by you know, reacting to something an opponent does and, and prevents them from accomplishing whatever they're trying to do.
0: Uh, I would counter that in in one way by saying that I don't actually believe that Metal Misstep lengthened games in that format. <laughs> <laughs> so, but that's a, that's a defensible well, point either way. I mean, way. I don't know.
1: I think Metal misstepping a Goblin Lackey lengthens the game. You know, Metal um, misstepping an Aether Vial lengthens the game.
0: Unless you're going to hive mind them out on turn three.
1: And that's why you ban Brainstorm, because... The one thing that we noticed, and we talked about this, I think, in our first or second podcast, if you look at every single blue spell, blue deck in Legacy, except for Merfolk, the Aether Vial decks, they are all held together by basically one or two cards, Force of Will and Brainstorm. Yeah. The High Mind deck, the uh, high, high Tide deck, the Countertop, natural, or the Natural Order deck. Yeah. You know, every single one of those decks uses four Brainstorms to... The show and tell decks to find their combo and put back their their junk. Yeah. So it's pretty clear that brainstorm. I mean, and if you look at what they banned yeah, recently, I mean, look at this. They banned preordain and ponder. Preordain got whacked. Preordain and ponder got whacked in two formats. What do those cards share? Have in common? <laughs> yeah. You know I mean, yeah. they're bad brainstorms. Yeah. I mean, and so why wouldn't brainstorm be the logical card to whack? In Legacy, it's not like you haven't left Ponder and Brainstorm, which have just been excised out of every other format in which they're legal. And they, in, uh, noting, of course, Ponder and Brainstorm are already restricted in Vintage.
0: I will not be surprised at some future point, even if the next announcement if Brainstorm goes in Legacy. It will have a lot to do with how much attention Legacy gets this year, so it dovetails with the whole modern deployment yeah. issue and, and many other things. But I won't be surprised at the all. Problem
1: is, the problem is that I think that um, you know brainstorm will not lead to blue decks being as dominant as mental misstep did mm-hmm. because brainstorm just holds together the blue decks and incentivizes you to play blue, but it doesn't push out the non blue doesn't push out the non blue decks like like mental misstep did that said, if you had banned brainstorm, you would have taken away one of the major reasons to play blue as a over another color mm-hmm. you know because for example, if you're deciding well, I've got this combo deck and i can i've got you know, green and red, I'm gonna. Add, I'm just making this up. Yeah. If you want to add a, a third color, you're thinking blue because I get Force and Brainstorm. But if you take Brainstorm out of that, maybe Duress is better. You know, mm-hmm. we we talked about this. So what I'm trying to say is that I think the a banning a Brainstorm is much less likely now. But that doesn't mean if you had to go back, I wouldn't have reversed the decisions. I yeah. think it's the same thing, you know, it's like um, when you go back to some of those vintage situations, like you've got multiple cards you can ban, which do you ban? Right. You know, it's like... They banned the, the wrong one, and it takes a long time for you to come back and figure that out, right. so, if ever.
0: Well, I would be very surprised if Brainstorm is not on their, quote-unquote, watch mm. list internally in mm. r and I mean, they must be keeping an eye on it. Mm. There are many pros, especially with all the excitement around Legacy in the last two years. There are many pros who are on record as saying Brainstorm is the best card in that format. <laughs> Even in the presence of mental misstep, right. I believe many people still felt that Brainstorm was the best card in that I format. I mean, just,
1: just going back, what if they had banned Brainstorm instead of Mystical Tutor? Oh, I, mean, wow. I mean... The format
0: I mean, could be so much better right now. Did this survival
1: <laughs> deck have four Brainstorms? No. Okay, just checking. Yeah. But I'm... But yeah. Brainstorm is ridiculous. I mean... And and again, it's it's... It's so head and shoulders above Ponder and Preordain, mm-hmm. and to see Preordain and Ponder being whacked out of two other formats you know, just shows you, underscores,
0: yeah.
1: highlights the power of Brainstorm.
0: Here's, here's a tangent I just <laughs> thought of, given what you just said. What do you think is going to happen first? Ponder <laughs> unrestricted in Vintage, or Preordain restricted in Vintage?
1: <laughs>
0: right, exactly.
1: <laughs> Preordain would get whacked before ponders unrestricted, yeah. I would think.
0: Or per- perhaps they happen at the same time, which would be bizarre. But so that would be it's, nonsensical, it's not, it's not, yeah. It, it, I don't think it's nonsensical. It's cool. It makes a little bit of sense. We're, we're going to really, trade one for another. You have really to real tinkery,
1: you know, like a real...
0: That's pretty... I'm a
1: real tinkerer, you know. are <laughs> like right. The, that's pretty
0: brinksman <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> managing the format there. All right, well, so the, obviously plenty of changes in modern and extended, but we're not going to cover those. Those have been covered in great... A level of detail, especially with all the emphasis on Modern from the Pro Tour, but we are very excited to talk about the long-awaited unleashing of Factor Fiction on Vintage. It was... Man. It was 12 months since DCI, last September, unreleased Gush... Unreleased? Unrestricted? Gush and Frantic Search. A year later, they unrestricted Factor Fiction, which was put on the list in December of 2001, so we were just shy of 10 years of that card being restricted. Amazing. Now, you and I played when you could play four-factor fictions before, and the world was very different, and now it's it's kind of like Jurassic Park. You know, <laughs> d- dinosaurs and man suddenly sharing the well, earth together again. It's funny you call
1: it that. I mean, like, <laughs> Frantic Search was restricted in 1999, so that card is prehistoric and by, had, by modern standards.
0: And it had almost no impact on the format at all.
1: There's so much to say about Factor Fiction. It's almost where do you start? Do we start talking about the card? Do we talk about the fact of unrestriction? I mean, in a sense, Factor Fiction heralds a modern age of, of magic because it arrived in, in Invasion. And Invasion was designed as is the set that sort of brought modern... now. There are many milestones. One Mm -hmm. could say M10 is modern magic, whatever. But Invasion was very important because the design team for Invasion was hired in the wake of the Urza block disaster, Mm -hmm. debacle. Mm -hmm. And so what was amazing about Invasion, and at the time I remember people saying this is the best design set block of all time. It was awesome. It was super balanced. Except for Factor Fiction, which <laughs> was the
0: only card from Invasion Block that ultimately ended up being restricted, I believe. Is that true? Invasion Plane Shift Apocalypse. Yes, I can't think of any other card. Wow.
1: And and you know the, and so it, and then after that you saw very few cards that were that were printed until Mirrodin that were restricted in vintage. Mm-hmm. I mean it was. Um, the other thing I think it's interesting is that the DCI has decided. Well, the timing is interesting. You know I mean. For three years, they were basically doing. For four years, they were doing everything in June. You know, in June two thousand five, June two thousand six, two thousand seven, two thousand eight, they made changes to the mm-hmm. restrict. You know, with the one exception of when Time Vault came in, that was in September, and they unrestricted five cards: Mox Diamond, Mox, Chrome, Mox Grim Monolith, other things. It's interesting that they shifted to September. Last September. They did nothing the previous June, and people complained. They're like, well, we expected something because the previous five years they'd done something. Mm -hmm. Then they unrestricted Gush and Frantic Search, which I don't think anyone could have predicted. No. Um, And then last June, we wanted them to do something, and they didn't. Mm -hmm. And and, uh, and I wrote an article with William Winger on Journal Central saying they should unrestrict factor fiction. That was my only argument, unrestrict factor fiction. (laughs) Uh, I mean, in, in factor fiction, just I think factor fiction has never existed with Gush. So to see the two together is really cool, like mm-hmm. unrestricted, you know. Um, the The other thing that that's I think most incredible about this <laughs> is that we have a moment where you have available to you all these blue draw engines that we've never seen before because they've always been restricted. And they just added another one. It's incredible, right? So we've got Jace, Bob, Gush, Factor Fiction, and all these other you know secondary and tertiary ones that we talked about a couple a, about a month ago.
0: I think. I think it's important for our listening audience. I would wager that a significant portion of the people listening to this right now Did were not, not playing okay. when Factor Fiction was unrestricted. Great so, point. talk about the history yeah. there, and especially the last, basically so, the last iteration before it got the axe. When Factor
1: Fiction was printed, the main vintage website was Beyond Dominia, Be Dominia. And everyone that reviewed. Factor Fiction at the time said, Factor Fiction is an over impulse.
0: <laughs> that uh, was,
1: I remember, that was the big thing. This is an over costed impulse.
0: Not the proudest moment in the vintage uh, Internet community.
1: So wrong. <laughs> and uh, what people quickly realize is that Factor Fiction, well, first of all, the two major draw cards that people use besides themselves to recall were, of course, Brain Geyser and Stroke of Genius.
0: (laughs) Of course, he says. Of course. (laughs) Naturally.
1: (laughs) So you would build your vintage deck, and it would start like, Ancestral Recall, Time Walk, Stroke of Genius, Brain Geyser. My mind doesn't even want to say it, so (laughs) it's so strange. (laughs) But, But so Factor Fiction comes out, and people realize it's actually a more efficient... Stroke of Genius, and Brain Geyser. Mm-hmm. Because for four mana, you get no less than three cards if you want.
0: Mm-hmm. So it's
1: you know plus you're, two card advantage. You're
0: cutting one or two off of the, va- the efficiency of either of those spells. Right. But then people realized this is more
1: than just a card advantage card in a conventional sense. It digs so deep that it actually is more like a chain draw engine. Which is hard. That's the one thing that people don't think people will appreciate. With Thirst for Knowledge... When you play Thirst, you're not really likely to draw another Thirst, but when you play Factor Fiction, you've dug five cards into your deck, mm-hmm. and you're very close to finding another.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like if you haven't, if you don't fact into another fact, in that sense, it's almost like using Necropotence over three or four turns, where you like necro four or five cards, the next turn you necro four or five cards, and the following turn you necro. That's what, and then Factor Fiction. And then what people realize is that it's, Unbelievable with graveyard synergy cards. Mm-hmm. So, like that's when Yogmas will and you know really started seeing play it was a fact. So all the blue decks in the, in the vintage format started running four facts, and there were three decks that run four facts. There was an oath deck, there was the there was the keeper deck, and then there was the mono blue deck. Mm-hmm. And the mono blue deck became the best deck, and it became the best deck because you ex, you would accelerate. You first of all, you had maximal counter protection, and so you would use like misdirections, a lot of them. And a lot of early counter magic, like mana leaks and stuff like that,
0: to give up. You could sacrifice card advantage because you had such a good draw engine.
1: Exactly. You could you could sacrifice running other cards, and then you just ran four factor fictions to treme- generate tremendous card advantage, and you literally accelerate into one or two plays. Back to basics, which just destroyed the other control decks.
0: It's worth pointing out this is pre-Fetchlands.
1: This is pre-Fetchlands. It's a pre-onslaught. This is 2000, mm-hmm. 2001. Which
0: is why Back to Basics was so potent was because all the three and four color blue decks didn't have a basic island to go get right. to help them out of that situation. Factor
1: Fiction was printed in Invasion which came out in, in the fall of 2000. And it was illegal in vintage for one year and it just dominated. You know, not at first but it just became the mm-hmm. dominant. Everyone just played four Factor Fiction decks. Right, so Back to Basics was like a, a game-breaking play against everything. I mean, including workshop decks if people were to play it. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you you would accelerate the Factor Fictions out, you would draw more Factor Fictions, and then you could, once you had just so many cards in your hand, you just threw out a Morphling and you would win, mm-hmm. you know. And so this deck of BBS was the best deck in the format. And you used back to basics and powder kegs to kill, to wipe out, wipe out the opponent's mana, like 15 counter spells, four Factor Fictions, and four Morphlings. And mm-hmm. it was just an unstoppable deck.
0: And because it was mono islands not only was it unaffected by its own back to basics but it was also immune to a lot of the a lot of the primary mana disruption at the time Eastlands. which was almost entirely land-based right this was not a format where the decks had where the workshop decks had nine or twelve right. spheres right and there were lots of other kinds of things it was they had they attacked your lands or they basically didn't disrupt your mana at right. all
1: The only decks in the format were basically keeper oath mono blue um, and then you had like multicolor zoo sly, and those decks got annihilated by this BBS deck because yeah. you had powder kegs, misdirections for their burn, yeah. and then you'd throw out a Morphling and they'd just be toast. Yeah. But, I mean, I actually, it's interesting, Tom Opile won an online Type 1 tournament with a four-factor fiction deck. I think he was playing the Oath version, though, Yeah. that splashed. But the reason you, that the mono-blue version was better than the Oath version is because the mono-blue version got the benefit back to
0: basics and was immune to Wastelands. Right. So all of that history tells us a couple of things. It tells us why Factor Fiction got the axe, of course. It was, it was format dominance. It was mm-hmm. far and away the best unrestricted draw engine at the yeah. time. And for a long time it and was... better
1: than restricted drawing right. with like Stroke and, and Geyser.
0: And it also informs to us why it was able to come off the list now. Right. Because time has shown us a number of other uh, once unrestricted, now restricted draw engines. And now we're at the point now where we have a glut of good forecasting <laughs> cost things to play, since GIFs right. came out and more recently Jace. And now we've got Gush to play with, which is highly efficient right. and widely played. And plus we've got a, ha- we've got a, a much larger selection of restricted items now mm-hmm. to play with. So Factor Fiction really is just contributing to a bottleneck of playables. <laughs> a
1: bottleneck. Right. A and glut. Yeah.
0: And, and my question, and I assume almost everyone's question, is where does it fit? Well, Does it fit? I think that the, the natural inclination is to
1: say, and this is an, a great argument for unrestricting fact, is that Jace is just better. Jace recurring card advantage. Mm-hmm. It provides all these other benefits, including, you know, it's, it's fantastic with Time Vault. It's fantastic in terms of assembling things. It's great with Tinker.
0: Mm-hmm. Given enough time, it will produce more card advantage.
1: But the key thing to keep in mind about Factor Fiction is that it has tremendous synergy in multiples.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it digs so deep that it's it's, unless you're playing it, you don't, I think, appreciate either one of those advantages. Which isn't to say that it should be restricted. I don't think it should be, because it's a forecasting cost spell. I'm not sure that we can say, you know, if Jace isn't restricted, I'm not sure that any of the... And and Jace is a different case, because Jace doesn't have... You don't play four Jace decks. Right. You know, you don't play... um,
0: But... We've (laughs) joked about it, but you really don't. (laughs) You really max out at, at two or three Jaces within reason. But... Anyone who has ever cast Factor Fiction and revealed a Factor Fiction exactly. in their piles. So what do you do? Right. It's, it's incredible. I mean, the, you it's, can just overwhelm your opponent.
1: It's also an EOT play, which we haven't had one of those in Vintage again in a while. So the EOT Factor Fiction play has returned, mm-hmm. and with it has returned the skill of splitting Factor Fiction files piles, oh, which is so much more exciting than splitting gifts file piles, because gifts piles are already predetermined. Right. You know, it's pretty much a correct pile and incorrect pile. fact, actually, games can be won or lost by splitting those piles correctly.
0: Boy, you know, I'm glad you said that because I hadn't even considered that aspect. I've been thinking all about interactions and synergies and deck building and forgot completely about how much <laughs> this contributes to the skill of the format. Yes. Assuming it's not an overwhelmingly dominant deck like the Accelerated Blue deck was. Right. A, a reasonable... Very doubtful. A reasonable multi-factor fiction deck integrating with the rest of the metagame just... It provides a a great increase in skill to the format. It's incredible. It's a tremendous
1: option. It, I think, is exciting for Vintage. It's a home run for the DCI because, first of all, the DCI whacked, like, 12 cards out of formats. And they're like, oh, by the way, Vintage gets Factor Fiction. (laughs) (laughs) It's a home run because it makes Vintage look so exciting. You've got all these options. You introduce Factor Fiction. Because it's so expensive and because it competes with these other draw engines, it's not likely to dominate. And even if it were to dominate, it would dominate briefly because you could easily devise an answer to it. Mm-hmm. But it's a powerful option. I actually think it gets more powerful if people ignore it. It's one of those cards that, like, if people, everyone just decides no one's going to like Frantic Search, no one's going to play it, someone can play a f- Factor Fiction deck and actually have a nice little niche, you mm-hmm. know? Much like that guy that I played at Vintage Worlds was playing Intuition AKs. Right. You know, but Fact is just better. <laughs> right.
0: So I guess the question for our listening audience, then, is do you think it's going to see play... What do you think? Yes, I think it will I see play. <laughs> I think there is so much more synergy for the card now than there was ten years ago. Yes. You have to look not much further than, say, Ancient Grudge. Yes. I don't know, it's a simple example. The, all the blue-based decks are still heavily focused on Yawgmoth's Will, as we've touched on yep. many times in the past. And it's so,
1: tremendous graveyard filler.
0: Built-in synergy already, and all you have to do is put in a couple of things. Put in a couple of Ancient Grudges. I wouldn't go so far as to say deep analysis, but it's not hard to build synergy with this card and uh, Goblin Wilder, for example, and you immediately can just take tweak an existing deck or build yeah. a slightly newer strategy, and you'll have a very competitive one.
1: I really hope that I'm not wrong about this, but I think one of the other advantages of unrestricting Factor Fiction is that it's not a broadly usable card. In other words, let me rephrase that. Factor Fiction is a card that will be good in control decks.
0: It doesn't just go in a whole bunch of decks. It
1: doesn't go in a combo deck like Gifts can. Right. You, know, you can put Gifts in a TPS deck. Sure, you can play Factor Fiction in a TPS deck, but it's not.
0: It's not going to push that deck like, over the top. It's not going to push
1: that deck over the top. It's almost entirely just a control card draw engine. Mm-hmm. It's a card that you, you know, and so it could actually bring you know give. And it's not like Thirst for Knowledge, which is broken, especially with, you know, Time Vault synergies. It's, it's a card that is truly a control draw draw engine.
0: And it's a certain kind of control, too, that's based upon redundancy. Yeah. So it inherently... Boy, this is a double-edged sword. It inherently speeds your ability to find certain silver bullets, Mm -hmm. but it also makes your reliance on them more tenuous. Hmm. If you need... If your opponent has tinkered for Blightsteel Colossus. Right. Fact of
1: isn't necessarily going to be the answer.
0: Well, it, it digs five cards down, which a lot of people are going to say, hey, that's great. Yeah. But if you fact into your Hercules Recall, you're going to get the old 4-1 split. Yeah. And then the question is, is, that, is if that Hercules wins you the game, so be it. But if it doesn't, then you've cut yourself out off of a whole bunch of other resources. That might be a bad example because you're going mm-hmm. to die either way. Mm-hmm. But my point is simply that while it does sometimes speed you to certain bullets... If your opponent is skilled and prepared for those bullets or knows about that they're coming, they can manipulate you such that you get they, much less advantage right, out of your card. Minimize
1: the, the advantage you
0: So, mm-hmm. again, it speaks to interactivity and player skill, and I don't think it's going to be a bad thing for the format in any stretch.
1: It's just all, almost all upside. It's, it's not a card that's inherently broken, it's, it's expensive enough that it can be punished and mm-hmm. fought. And it's not going to be a broad-based card. I mean, Gush can go in a million decks. Factor Fiction can't.
0: Right. Let's know? let's talk about a really direct comparison that I know a lot of people are going to have to be faced with when building Factor Fiction decks, and that is Factor Fiction versus Jace. There are alri- there's already a slot in many decks right now for two or three cards mm-hmm. that cost. That are blue that cost yeah. four mana that draw cards. So yep. it's real obvious for people to yeah. say, let me just put facts in these Jace slots and see what I think. Right. What do you think people are going to come up with when they do that these experiment go, to start with? Go back with?
1: to Jace. I think it goes back to the fact that, again, Factor Fiction has the, the um, mind's desire synergy. It, that is, when you can play it in multiples, it becomes so much more powerful. Yeah. If you can't build a three or four Factor Fiction deck, I don't think it's probably worth playing. Factor Fiction is not worth playing as a one of or two of.
0: Mm-hmm. We know that. If it was worth time, pl- time has demonstrated the yeah, last couple of years.
1: Right. If it was worth playing as a one of, it would be played as a one of, it. and mm-hmm. it's not for a reason. Why would it be worth playing as a two of? It's not. Right. It's worth playing as a four of or a three of, if at all.
0: Yeah. So you think people are going to test it out and just go back to chase?
1: <laughs> if yeah, I think that they if they build a deck like that. I think they would.
0: So you think that if it's going to be played, you have to basically conceive of a four-factor fiction deck from the ground up. Exactly. Okay. Well, I think I generally agree. Uh, there are plenty of tools to do that, <laughs> but but you really do have to treat the card as its own as its own animal, really.
1: It's, it's exciting. You know, I think, you when know, you were talking about Ancient Grudge, it might be awesome in like a Demarzian type control deck.
0: Yeah. Lots of value plays, like little a little bit three, of flashback here and there. Yeah. It's
1: like a three or four of, and just start it there. You know, play some City of Brass, and mm-hmm. you know bring back keeper with factor fiction
0: it's possible Demars did it with some preordains and some other cute tricks a couple months fiction back yeah. better
1: than Preordain in that deck but
0: yeah no kidding all right other thoughts on abandoned Restricted list changes just just uh, awesome you know I just hope that the
1: DCI continues that sort of attention to vintage mm-hmm. yeah so. all right we'll
0: move on to Istrad next. Let's talk about Innistrad. We got a handful of cards we want to touch on. We've got the full spoiler now. There are definitely a hand, There are definitely several cards that are relevant for Vintage. Oh yeah. And so from that standpoint, it's a real fun set to review. I want to talk about something though, harkening back to last episode. I want to talk about Morbid, real briefly, and for a handful of reasons. <laughs> We talked at length about morbid. At length. And there was a bit of. Frustrating length. There was a bit of confusion, frustration, speculation, and ideas that we had about the mechanic. And I want to tie up a handful of those things. One of them is I have since studied the comprehensive rules. Morbid is not technically a keyword, it's what's called an ability word. And the reason that's important to note is that while they are similar, they're not the same. Keywords, as Steve was alluding to last time, represent a certain. Written, uh, not written. A certain functionality that is consistent. This keyword means this. Right. Certain that keywords explains my confusion. Certain keywords can change in how they result. Some keywords have a number next to them, which mm-hmm. changes their, how they proceed. But the point is, morbid is not one of those. It's what's called an ability word, which is tantamount to reminder text. And yeah, if you'll it note, something. It, it is italicized on a card, which means it doesn't actually represent a mechanic. Right. It just it describes. So vigilance a represents reminder. the
1: words does not tap to attack. Right. Morbid. morbid is not like that.
0: Right. It's, the, it's equivalent to a reminder text, basically. Yeah. So in the set, now that we have this full the full set, there are nine cards with Morbid. One of the things we speculated about was, well, they've already, we've already seen two cards spoiled and implemented in different ways. One of them was a creature coming into play, had an, an extra effect if there was a, something that had died. <laughs> the other one was a creature that sat in play and had an effect at the end of each turn if something died. Right. So we uh, acknowledge those as two tussle directions for the right. mechanic. Ultimately, out of nine examples, there are five creatures that have Morbid. No, I'm sorry, I lied. <laughs> there are five creatures that have comes-into-play abilities okay. with Morbid, enter the battlefield, and they are all basically bad <laughs> from an eternal standpoint. <laughs> uh, one of them gives you life, which we said was the worst. Two, <laughs> two of them just get bigger. did we with, say
1: that? Oh, yeah, we oh, yeah. did last week, yeah.
0: Two of them just get bigger.
1: Which we say is not good either.
0: Not either. good either. Uh, one of them has a gravedigger effect, which is just... Market. Limited fodder, and the other one gives a creature minus four, minus four, which is wow. great and limited, but it's like a five or six guy
1: None of these have draw cards on.
0: No. Them. Which there, is
1: what we said we'd be excited about.
0: There is only one, the one that we already knew about, that, that has a recurring effect while it sits in play. And that one destroys creatures. It's not that great. It's okay and limited. And,
1: well, you want to see Ancestral Recalls and Time walls. I know.
0: There's one other one that has an activated Morbid ability, meaning you can only activate it if a creature has died. And that just puts a 5-5 five, five into play. It's actually not very mm. good at all. It's an okay card. But... Then there are two spells that have Morbid, which just get a slightly amplified effect if a creature had died, and none of them are Vintage playable anyway. Mm. So nine cards with Morbid. It's interesting. There are tons of cards in this set that look at when creatures die. Mm-hmm. None of those have Morbid. Mm. The Morbid reminder, the Morbid ability word, refers specifically to looking back in time if something had died earlier in the turn. <laughs> Anything that actually triggers off something dying in so real is time is, t- <laughs> is just a regular trigger. If they had wanted to, they could have put Morbid on another 30 or 40 cards in this set that happened in real time, but they only chose to do it to look back in why do, time. Why is that? I have no idea. It's, it, it's, I mean,
1: maybe it's like literally morbidity, like when a body begins to decompose or something?
0: I, I think flavor is probably the only real explanation should, for why they chose
1: explained, it. This was designed from a flavor standpoint, Yeah. said I, last yeah.
0: time. So th- I'm not, not going to speculate really on why they chose to do that, except flavor anyway, is probably the, the explanation that's yeah. the case. So... At any rate, Morbid, from a playability standpoint, Morbid's pretty much just limited fodder. It's not really anything terribly relevant. There's a possibility of some type 2 play, but otherwise. Let's let's move on from Morbid, though. We've got a handful of cards that we've identified that we didn't talk about last time, mostly because none of them had been spoiled last time. And a handful of these are really relevant to Vintage. You know, we didn't pick an order for this, Steve. Any particular place you want to start? Go ahead. The first one on my list is Memory's Journey. And for those of you who are not following along at home, this is a blue instant w- that flashes back for green. It costs blue one. It costs blue one, and the text else? is
1: return up to three uh-huh. or put up to three shuffle, right, shuffle up to three <laughs> cards from an, from target player's library graveyard into their library.
0: So I, I'm pulling it up here because I was switching pages and I was scrolled to a different part of the uh, a different part of the spoiler, but. The reason we're bringing this card up is because of it's very, very similar to and Reclamation, which is widely played, even though it's the one of widely played in Oath decks today.
1: Well, there are two differences between this card and and Reck. Oh, yeah. The first is that Croson Reck only shuffles up to two.
0: And this one shuffles three. And this one
1: shuffles up to three, and the, and the flashback costs half as much in this one. Cross and both? Rec
0: flashbacks for green plus one. This right. one is just green. Exactly. There's a third difference, of course.
1: I did not know. What is
0: it? <laughs> this card's blue.
1: Well, yeah, I mean... The cast is
0: <laughs> right. No, but that's relevant for more right. than one reason. It's easier to cast across the board because it's blue, and yeah. Oath decks are base blue. Mm-hmm. Also, in a pinch, this pitches the force of will. Right. There are a handful of situations when Cross and Reclamation is drawn by the Oath player, and it is straight up dead. They need it to be right. anything else, and a card that's simply blue is even well, better. I'm not
1: sure why they printed this card, like, basically so much better than Cross and Rack.
0: Well, I think it has everything to do with the flavor explanation. They I mean, wanted, up to three, though? They wanted the graveyard manipulation to be in blue, in this in this fashion, in blue. But it dovetails. There's graveyard manipulation in black, of course. But, for but
1: isn't the original graveyard manipulation regrowth?
0: <laughs> well, but this doesn't... You're right. And that's why this flashes back for green, is because there's an overlap between green and blue and how they manipulate graveyards. So... I don't think we need to belabor this card very much. It's going to see play. It's going to go right. in every deck that would play Cross and Wreck, basically, is yep. going to play this instead. Yep. It's not going to change much. Right. But every fifteenth game or so they'll pitch it to force of will. Well and yeah. it'll be slightly it changes, better.
1: The what you cross and wreck. You'll put your brainstorm back on the other two cards and because if you draw the brainstorm, then you can just
0: Oh, that's a good point. Being yeah. able to get three cards gives you a slightly more options too in mm-hmm. that end game scenario. Alright, let's move on. Alright, here's an exciting one. Past in flames. Now, this card... Passed into flames, right? That's right. Passed into flames. This card is getting a lot of talk. This is... Boy, this is the card that gives your whole graveyard flashback. It's just just passed in flames. It's not into flames. Yep. Passed in flames. Sorcery. One red, three colorless. Each instant and sorcery card in your graveyard gains flashback until end of turn. The flashback cost is equal to its mana cost. And it has flashback of one red and four. So, it's the... uh, well, boy, we should be calling this one Snapcaster Storm, right? Hmm. <laughs> because it just Snapcasters every card in your graveyard. Snapcaster, obviously, is the the headliner from this set, which we'll get to in a bit. But Past in the Flames, forecasting costs to potentially replay m- m- some, if not all, of your graveyard. And what would the quality of cantrips and rituals and other card-drawing instants in Eternal specifically Legacy and Vintage, this card is obviously relevant and obviously playable in potentially a few different strategies. We've got, I mean, it's going to start out, as far as we know, since the banner restricted list announcement has come out, it's going to start out as an unrestricted engine of sorts for Legacy and Vintage. It synergizes powerfully with so many cards in its formats it's similar to Yawgmoth's Will and its ability to generate you game-ending uh, stormy card advantage plays. Stormy. Stormy. It's also similar to Ad Nauseam and its ability to simply give you access to many, many cheap spells. Right. Which can have the same game-ending effect.
1: Interesting. That's a very... Convoluted way of saying it provides tremendous card advantage, <laughs> <laughs> but, right.
0: it's, but it, it doesn't draw you I mean, cards. though. So that's the thing. Look, you have to construct your deck with this card in mind. Card mine. advantage engine.
1: Period. That's the, what it offers.
0: But unlike Yawgmoth's Will, which you can throw that's into nearly, Yawgmoth's Will does. I Yawgmoss know, Will but tremendous card. Unlike Yawgmoth's right. Will, right. you can't just throw this into any vintage deck, a deck filled with moxin and enchantments and yep. creatures. This deck needs a deck built around it with a certain category of spells. More like Ad Nauseum. It's Snapcaster Storm. Right. You're basically applying the Snapcaster logic wow. with flashback cost to all the instants and sorceries in your graveyard until the end of the turn. So you need to have built up a critical mass of things in your graveyard that are gonna you're going to benefit from the duplicate right. casting of. And they want it, you want them to be cheap, and ideally you want them to generate you mana. Right. So yeah. you're talking about rituals, you're talking about cantrips, right. you're talking about Gitaxian probe style stuff. Right. In Legacy, you're probably looking at intuitions to fill up your graveyard... So plus your brainstorms so and your metamorphos.
1: This card is a card advantage engine. But ultimately. you need,
0: but you need to be using it with very efficient type cards, right. cards that Rituals, generate you mana, Ketaxian replace pros. their own mana draw, replace themselves. Yeah. And this
1: card, of course, has some advantages over cards like Yawgmoth's Will in that, well, first of all, that when you when you play the card that turn, it doesn't remove it automatically. So you can play, like for example, Time Walk within the turn, and then untap and flash. You know, sorry, you can Time Walk. One of the problems with Yogg-Moss Will is when you're playing a moss Will, all your cards are removed the turn you use it.
0: Right. Like you can't get double value out of anything you draw that turn, for exactly.
1: example. Exactly. The other thing is like cards like Regrowth. Yeah. Like Regrowth, you know, if you, I, I see what you're getting. At. Regrowth twice. Yeah. Uh,
0: there's been a number of times in my experience where you cast Yogg-Moss Will, and one of the first things you do is you ancestral or you gush to just get the card value, and any of the cards you draw right there, you don't get double use out of. If you draw a second gush off of your first one, you're only getting one use out of it. But with this spell, as you've pointed out, if you cast this into a handful of cantrips and rituals, and you draw into more cantrips and rituals, those don't get removed this turn. So you could potentially get duplicate value out of all those on a subsequent turn. Right.
1: This card could be clearly broken in Legacy, because you can just probably accelerate it and do it in turn one. But I don't know how good this will be in Vintage. I'm sort of skeptical.
0: In Vintage, you obviously it compares with Yawgmoth's Will, but as I was thinking earlier, Yawgmoth's Will involves replaying so many mana sources in Vintage. Right. Replaying lands or yeah. Moxen that have been destroyed or discarded, that kind of thing. You get so much more value.
1: Well, the synergy between Black Lotus and Yawgmoth's Will is yeah. really vital. It, it, it
0: frequently makes Yawgmoth's Will a free play, mm-hmm. whereas this will not have that same benefit, right. unless your graveyard is juiced with, with multiple rituals. rituals.
1: And Rituals just aren't good in Vintage right now. Not, because no. they're so badly punished by spheres let's, and mental missteps.
0: So let's talk about this card's place in Vintage right now because I think there is a place for it. But you're like you said, you're going to have to make so many cool. consolations for... If, pl-
1: if, if, if the goal of this card is to generate card advantage towards a storm combo and kill... like So you're generating card advantage to create mana and card advantage in yep. Storm.
0: Yep.
1: How is this better than Ad Nauseam? I mean, Ad Nauseam it's, is... Far more card advantage for one more mana, and you're playing the same number of rituals to accelerate into it.
0: I would say it is not, in the end, it is not necessarily better than card than Adosium, But I can answer your question very literally. One. One, this card costs one less. Two...
1: No, Force of Will, you can
0: play Force of wills. Yeah. That's number three. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Number one is this card costs one less. Number two, it does not require your life total to be anywhere in Mm -hmm. order for you to win, like Mm -hmm. Ad Nauseam does. And number three, it does not restrict the casting costs of cards you can play. So, as you said, you can support this card with Force of Will. And a number of other things that you would just never play in an Ad Nauseam deck. You can play more high casting cost search type stuff like gifts, facts, thirst, uh, intuition. You can do all that kind of stuff in this deck and not be concerned about them coming up with your Ad nauseum. If you
1: Ad nauseum and you reveal a mental misstep, but you lose a life.
0: Yes, the converted mana cost is still one. So the, I think this card has a lot of upsides compared to existing engines. One of them which we haven't really touched on is this is not an all-in card either. Right. Because it has flashback for only one more than its regular cost. It's almost
1: as if like it's telling you to play it again.
0: <laughs> right, it, exactly. It, it's telling you to get value over time, which right. in Legacy and Vintage you don't do so much of. But still there's that possibility where you are playing you you play, play a couple of Rituals and you have some mana floating and you announce this and your Force of Will playing opponent says, I can't let that resolve. It, it's too much advantage if it resolves, so they have to force it. If you have any gas left in your tank, if you kept a Ritual in hand or something, on the next turn, you could Ritual this guy out again and go off. So the redundancy that it provides is definitely an advantage over cards like Ad Nauseam.
1: This card's really good with Metamorphose.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Any, any deck that plays this card is probably going to feature four Metamorphose. And in Legacy, it's going to feature probably getaxian Probes in addition to the handful of rituals and other cantrips and such.
1: Well, it's a nice little card advantage card. Yeah. Um, I'm excited to see what people can do with it. I mean, it's one of those things that if you really focus, you could probably find something interesting, but I'm not sure ultimately what staying power would be, or right. it's, you know, yeah, long-term utility.
0: I think there's definitely a deck to be had here. In Vintage, with, not with Fact, but more so, I think, with uh, Intuition in Vintage, mm-hmm. um, and obviously Restricted Good Stuff, but I, I see a deck that's comparable to Belcher there, and Belcher is not great. Extremely marginal. It's but it's marginal, but it can Extremely win smaller tournament smaller tournaments or at least do well. So anyway, yeah, this is
1: a, cha- a card a challenge card.
0: Yeah, you Belcher players out there, take a look at this one. <laughs> Let's move on. Next up, Forbidden Alchemy. This is the Thirst for Knowledge variant in blue, and you can tell right away that its casting cost and its general effect are certainly in the playable category because it costs a blue and two colorless it's an instant it and the first words are look at the top four cards of your library <laughs> so you know that we're already in the playable range here unfortunately you do only get one of those cards into your hand but the other three cards go into your graveyard now one in your hand is like thirst for knowledge but you didn't draw an artifact mm-hmm. so it's kind of kind of crummy in that regard but you're putting more cards in your graveyard and on top of all that this card has flashback do i ever expect this card to be flashed back in vintage i do mm-hmm.
1: if it's played i would rarely it to be flashback i mean seven i mean i could easily see like it's one of those late game things you know you survive mm-hmm. i'll flash it back it
0: could be a control-ish sort of deck yeah. that gets to that point so rarely i would say one out of every 10 times <laughs> this is cast that's it'll probably, be flashback. Right. Something, something like times, that yeah but this card does dig deeper four cards instead of three compared to thirst for knowledge and, and we yeah. already talked about how digging slightly deeper for factor fiction is useful in its own right
1: well i think that the the most obvious thing that stands out to me is goblin moulder in this card mm-hmm. one of the, the the things that that thirst for knowledge had going for it is that you can discard any card from your hand mm-hmm. so you have access to basically like let's say you have five cards in your hand you can decide to discard any one of the five cards in your hand or the three that you draw so you have like you can choose one of eight cards of an artifact to discard.
0: Yeah.
1: That gives you a lot of options in terms of what artifact you want to discard. The problem with this card is that you can't... You, you get to look at four cards, and you have to choose one of those four cards. You can't you're gonna filter your weld, hand. That you're gonna, yeah, and, the, and then, you know, the other one... You, you have only three options, then, of mm-hmm. an artifact that you can return with Welder. Yeah. So I'm not sure... I don't think that that one additional card that going to your graveyard... Rev, let me rephrase that. You get so many more options with the graveyard. I don't think that looking one more card with this card over Thirst overcomes that, the disadvantage of not being able to discard from your hand in terms of utility for Welder.
0: I think I agree. There was a point approximately two years ago where strategic planning was a flash in the pan, very popular. But that's with a play. That's yeah.
1: Moxland strategic. That's like, you know, turn one Bob.
0: So this no. this one costs one more, but gives you the benefit of one more card and instant speed. It's not yeah. unreasonable to compare this one to strategic planning. I mean, planning. if this
1: card costs two, we'd be having a different conversation.
0: Absolutely, we would. <laughs> but then again, given the comparison I just made, strategic planning and Welder are seeing almost no play no, at I a mean, combination right now. if this card right
1: costs two, it's comparable to Impulse, then.
0: Right. And Maybe much better sense. than Impulse, because putting the cards in your graveyard exactly. is so much more desirable. Exactly. That's I mean, per- But
1: Impulse doesn't see play in Vintage, so...
0: If Impulse put those cards in your graveyard, might it?
1: That's the question. Yeah. Right? <laughs>
0: I, I think it probably would, actually. <laughs> but the world may never know. World, unfortunately. <laughs> so this card is certainly on the on the possible list, but yeah, it is competing remotely. with so much. Especially now that Factor Fiction has been cut loose. It's competing with far too much. If they were to restrict a half dozen cards and we were scraping well, the bottom of the barrel again, maybe this card...
1: You, you have a random blue deck. Would you rather play Impulse or this? <sighs>
0: Does my deck have Goblin Welder in it? That's really the question.
1: And if the answer is no.
0: If, if, if I don't have Goblin Welder, I'm, I'm on Impulse over this card every day. That's the thing. I don't expect to ever flash it back. And
1: no one plays Impulse. You have Preordain and Ponder. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah.
0: So this card may have its day, but that day is not now.
1: Yeah. You'd have to see Ponder, Preordain restricted, and <laughs> a lot of things change. <laughs> yeah.
0: All right. Let's talk about this Laboratory Maniac guy. <laughs>
1: what a maniac.
0: So Laboratory Maniac is one of those you-win-the-game cards. Which always deserves <laughs> at least one look, right?
1: <laughs> well, there there aren't actually that many cards that say you win the game on them, um, right? He's you know, he's part cycle, of a small crowd. You no know, coalition victory, and then the co- the the cycle of like test of endurance, mortal, mortal combat, combat, and then there are wits. like battle wits, and there are a few other cards, right? But really, this is these are unprecedented cards in the sense that. Winning the game is such a ridiculous <laughs> form of tempo and card advantage. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's not even something that you can, like, cost easily. It's right. just so ridiculous what it does, winning mm. the game. You know, it's like everything that you strategically attempt to do can be satisfied. Of every single card I've ever seen that says you win the game on it, this is probably the most plausible. I mean...
0: It's also one that they baked the most risk into this card out of any of those other cards.
1: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's true. You could definitely...
0: If your play. Battle of Wits gets disenchanted, you just keep going with your turn. <laughs> if this guy gets dismembered, the game end, does not end well, well you know what for they you. they say, no
1: risk, no reward. <laughs> but I mean, I think the upside on this is definitely worth trying it. I mean, there's so many ways to yeah. remove your library that are good. I mean, like, Doomsday stands out in my mind as the most obvious, because Doomsday, first of all, has been on the restricted list. Yeah, Unrestricted. It's actually see, see play, scene play. Doesn't see play. It's seen play in in legacy cyborg. That's right.
0: No, no. It's Doomsday has been an archetype in legacy in right. small amounts.
1: Right. I mean Doomsday. I mean this card. I mean Doomsday sets this card up perfectly.
0: Some of those decks were killing with Shell Dock Isle into Emrakul. Right. Imagine how much easier it is to just, just play this, this guy and draw and draw. You don't
1: even need to have this guy in play for more than a moment.
0: That's right. You, don't even, you, you just need to get even, this guy you, down you and even, put any kind of effect on the stack in and your and you're set.
1: Right. I mean, like, in Vintage, if you can if you can Doomsday, put this guy into play, and then, gush, mm-hmm. you win the game. Mm-hmm. I mean, it seems to me that's worth trying.
0: It, I agree. It is worth trying. And another thing that's worth trying is this guy with oaths. Right. Because that's another cheap and obviously playable way to empty your library.
1: People mention things like, I've seen this on the Mandrain, Divining Witch... There's cards like Leveller, obviously, which are terrible. Yeah, so expensive.
0: Demonic Consultation, which is restricted, but gives you a way to immediately discard your library.
1: Demonic Consultation is an amazing <laughs> way of doing it. <laughs> what a
0: hilarious templating that would be! This is a, this is a fodder for a Twitter hashtag to discard your library,
1: <laughs> exile your library.
0: <laughs> so, I mean,
1: it, you just can't underestimate the tempo and card advantage. Of, <laughs> and what's also cool is that this card reverses. A loss into a win? I Mm -hmm. mean, drawing a card when you have no library is a loss.
0: You know, strictly speaking, you are correct, but functionally, I think that's completely untrue. There is never a situation when you're sitting with an empty library. After a long, hard-fought battle, and you're just about to be decked, and you're like, yes, <laughs> right. the last card in my library was Laboratory Maniac. I'm saved. <laughs> that's true. But, but, I mean... Basically, any kind of quote-unquote loss that you're referring to is fully manufactured. Doomsday, removing your library, yeah. oh, it's removing your library. Well, it's there, all a manufactured There is the scenario.
1: old uh, painter servant Grindstone combo where you're decked. Uh, yeah. And, and there is the... You're um, saying this guy fights that? Le- ...Ley Line, uh, Helm of Obedience... I wouldn't say fights that. <laughs> <laughs> well, not very well he does. But, but I mean, I think it's definitely worth trying. And, and what I'm trying to say is that the advantage he provides is so ridiculous that it's worth paying a lot and of resources and devoting a lot of resources to trying to accomplish it. Sure. Winning
0: the game is a pretty valuable resource. <laughs> yeah. So I want to I point out one hilarious coincidence, I suppose, and that is... Like I said, they baked about as much risk as they possibly could into this card. You have an empty library, so if anything goes wrong, you're going to die that way. And he's a creature, and a pretty small one at that, so he's really easy to remove. But in Vintage, the format where it is easiest to empty your library, I would argue, Mm -hmm. it is also the format where this guy is least likely to die at instant speed.
1: That's true. In
0: Standard, it's very difficult to empty your library, and this guy is very likely to die.
1: If he was an artifact or enchantment, it would be worse.
0: Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Decks are playing many more Shatter effects, and a handful fewer than that, they're playing uh, Demystify effects, and third on that list would be Doomblade style effects in Vintage. Jace is... He's pe- more likely to be bounced than he is destroyed. That's right. Jace, Jace is people's as people's standard answer to creatures in this format. We talked about this. Creatures just don't die in Vintage. They're exiled or bounced. That's right. That's right. So if you can manage to empty that library, Doomsday, Oath, what have you, this guy in Vintage is the easiest to protect in out of all those formats, I would say. But ultimately... I don't think this guy's really going to amount to anything. I think it's more likely we'll see a Past in Flames deck than this guy turning into a deck.
1: <laughs> well, how would you. What would you doomsday for? So let's say you just go Dark Ritual Doomsday. What's your plan? Would you, is your plan to get this guy and play first in Doomsday or have put it in your Doomsday pile?
0: Well, if you can play him first, then it's real easy if, because your Doomsday pile can be zero.
1: Your Doomsday. Oh, that's right. You can. Well, what? I would think your Doomsday pile is going to be Ancestral, Black Lotus, this guy, and. Gush, or Brainstorm, or something like that.
0: Right. Or de- Lotus
1: Petal, and then this guy.
0: It depends on how much mana you have available to you, of course. There are some different mana constrictions that could make that uh, more difficult. But in general, you're right. You're just going to put this guy with card draw. Uh, I'm looking up the Oracle text on Doomsday because, unfortunately, I think I just lied. Search your library and so so Graveyard for five cards right. and I exile rest. You're not so allowed to choose non 5 cards. I'd get.
1: I would start with Gush and Lion's Eye Diamond.
0: Why Lions I Diamond over Ancestral? <laughs> or I mean Black Lotus.
1: Um, because I'm going to put Black Lotus in the next. Sorry, it's going to be. <laughs> yeah, so let's think it through. If I do Gush, Ancestral, then I, so if I do Gush and Lotus, then I Gush into Lotus and then Ancestral. See, I want the Lions I Diamond so I can get six mana. Because I want to be able to play draw a draw spell and this guy. So I need right. to four. You could do a Lotus Petal, I guess. Well, well, draw spell on this guy and then win. You could probably do it on the spot. So all you have to do is Doomsday.
0: Oh yeah. Well, if you have access to any kind of reasonable draw spell, even Gush gets you there. Gush, if you can Doomsday, yeah. if you can Doomsday with one with access to one blue, you can just win with this guy, can't you? Yes, that's because you can just Ancestral into. You
1: don't even need the blue if you can if you have Gush in your hand.
0: You're not going to be able to double Gush though unless you legitimately had four lands. But you don't in the play.
1: need to. You can Ancestral and brainstorm.
0: But that's five mana.
1: Yeah, and you can do Lions Eye Diamond and Black Lotus.
0: But you need to draw this guy also.
1: Right. So the first <laughs> the first card you draw, you,
0: you you gush into Ancestral and Lotus. Let's say. You. That's how. That, no, no,
1: no. You gush if you have one blue mana. Let's assume you have one blue mana. Yeah. You gush into Ancestral and Lion's Diamond. You play Lion's of Diamond. Then you oh. bounce Ancestral Rebo- Smart. sacrifice
0: the Lion's at Diamond. Smart. And then you will draw three more cards. So you'll draw... You know, Laboratory Maniac, Lotus, and any kind and of brainstorm. draw spell and Brainstorm. Win. And then you've got the five man. Well, you'll you need four men at that point. You're right. You're right. Mm. That works. So even so, with one blue mana available to you, it's easy to construct a pile that just wins immediately with this guy. Yes. And he's only one and card in your deck. And you're gushing,
1: you probably replay the land with the one blue.
0: Theoretically, sure. Yes. Let's say you have no mana floating, and you, but you have gush and two islands in play. Is there yes. a pile? You gush into two cards. You gush <laughs> yeah, into so you Lo- get, Lotus Ancestral. I would think so.
1: Lotus Ancestral, and you put, like, Mana Crypt in there, and Brainstorm.
0: And so you'd have... Blue Blue Floating, Mana Crypt Brainstorm, you play the Mana Crypt, play the... Yeah, it's exactly enough. <laughs> yeah. You're right. So you don't have to have any mana floating. If you have access to Gush, Two Islands, and and Doomsday, you can just win on the spot with this card. Right,
1: turn, turn one, or you could just, you know, yeah. So turn one Doomsday, turn two this. Also, you know, with Ancestral on top, you that's true. there as well.
0: Assuming you're confident that you're not going to get disrupted, sure. Yeah. Well, so, it's clearly relevant... Yeah. And Doomsday, it, It's it's been a couple of years, but Doomsday has been a legitimate threat in the format in, in years past, and Doomsday has the benefit of getting to play all kinds of wonderful blue-black combo cards. So we'll see. This guy has some possibilities. Let's look next at... You know, I just wanted to mention Witchbane Orb. Steve, I know it's not one that you even had on your list. What but is it? It's a forecasting cost artifact. It, it removes a hec- a curses, <laughs> which is a enchantment subtype that was introduced with this set and they're all bad so don't think about that at all but it has a secondary ability which says you have hex proof so it has the true believer text basically Mm. for a forecasting cost artifact Mm. now we've talked in the past about how about how the utility of various disruptive effects on grizzly bear style creatures and we talked had a whole conversation about Gadok teague and and uh, true believer was one of them so this effect gives workshop decks an interesting way to fight cards like Hercules' Recall and
1: hmm.
0: and Tendrils I was hmm. thinking of Is this very good? No. I put it on my list though because I think a lot of people are going to notice it and well, say, "Boy, that could be a sideboard card for X Y and, X, and the Z." The white
1: Leyline card. though, no, right? Is it?
0: Well, how do you define better. You yeah. can cast it. <laughs> if you draw it on the second turn, it's going to be a lot better than that Leyline card. But Line I think it's a trap. I think that it's not... In the cases where you would really, really want it, I don't think it's the right sideboard card. Okay. And I just wanted to put that out there because it's a possibility, but I think it's weak. One card that is not weak, however, Stony Silence. Now, for those of you following along at home, this is basically the white enchantment version of Null Rod. Artifact activated abilities can't be played. For one white and one colorless... And all things being equal, which they're not, this card is a lot better than Null Rod because of the reasons we already cited. Shatter effects are much more common, thanks to Ancient Grudge and uh, a few other things. Shatter effects are much more common than Demystify-style effects. So right. if you get this down, it has a tendency to live a lot longer than a Null Rod would. Yes. But... It suffers from the white the, problem. It's, it's not going to be Hercule recalled or Ancient Grudge. That's, that's right. It's not going to be bounced. Yeah. And it suffers from the white problem, though, in that it is a white card, <laughs> which is the worst kind of card you can have in Vintage right now. So there are two decks that use Null Rods.
1: There are the Workshop decks that use Null Rods, mm-hmm. and then there are the Fish Slash Beats decks. Right. And in terms of the Fish Slash Beats decks, I think this card is just better. I mean,
0: yeah, assuming the deck has a high enough... Uh, capacity for white mana. Right. You're def- it, I mean, some, there's not going to be no issue with being able to cast it. You definitely want this card in play over Null Rod every time.
1: And there's also the question of whether you want to play more than four Null Rods. <laughs> Which I mean, is
0: not unreasonable. Maybe five and six is the right number.
1: Right. I mean, we've never been confronted with that a lot. Usually the fish decks run like three or four, but I mean, who knows? Like a diversity of these, these effects might actually just be better.
0: And it could push one of those decks into a more competitive tier.
1: Absolutely. I mean, it's it's... I mean, certainly worth attempting. I just think that uh, this card is much harder to get rid of. And you also get the additional synergy of being able to run Energy
0: Flux and Kataki and <sighs> those oh, cards. I've forgotten about that. That's incredible. This plus Kataki is so much better.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: And added a little bonus for any budget players out there this card's going to cost about a quarter as much as I know. <laughs> <though. laughs> <laughs> and the Venn diagram of players who like to play fish decks and who like to uh, or have budget considerations is probably overlapped to a significant degree. So. Undoubtedly. Just,
1: you know, it's just, uh, it, it's really good. And uh, I'm excited that they printed this card. I think it's great that they printed this card. Null has been such a format-defining card for so long mm-hmm. because of its the way in which it interacts with the most important cards in the format. Mm-hmm. So to see another one of these printed is awesome. I mean, this is, I don't know if I want to say clearly, but it's, I think they, they knew that they were making this for vintage, you know. Um, that is, they, they had an awareness that this would be played in vintage. Oh, absolutely.
0: They must have. They must have. Mm-hmm. You can't develop a card like Null ramet and, <laughs> and think anything other than that immediately. Yeah. They, just wanted, they probably just wanted a, a simple effect that, you know, they like to introduce hate cards into formats where they can, mm-hmm. and there's no obvious um, need for this card necessarily. Yeah. It, it dovetails with Scars of Mirrodin block pretty well because equipment is so powerful, so it has a mm-hmm. place in standard, mm-hmm. but otherwise it's just another one of those useful well, cards. Well,
1: Beat's decks are going to be able to enjoy Kataki and, and this guy and play at the same time. Awesome. And Energy Flux might come back.
0: Let's talk about another white enchantment that that basically mirrors an existing card. Nevermore! <laughs> <laughs> Nevermore is white white one for basically name. Basically meddling mage. <laughs>
1: what a great name.
0: You name a card when it comes into play. You know, while I find the name to be very evocative and flavorful...
1: The image doesn't do it?
0: I... No, that's not what I'm thinking. I'm thinking I don't like. I don't agree with this name as being evocative of sh- of preventing something from happening. It should what be I mean, something like. I think it's a flavor it sh- fail. It shouldn't
1: prevent something from happening. It should be something that happens afterwards.
0: I, I think it's a flavor fail. I think if you are thinking of the Raven, yeah. strictly speaking, the ability of this card has nothing to do with that. Boo. But anyway, it's a good title. It's a so really good title. We
1: need Search of Gatherer, and there are only two cards in magic the magic corpus which actually have this effect meddling mage and voidstone gargoyle
0: and this card is basically just voidstone gargoyle sans the the three power <laughs> take two casting cost off and take away the three power and then you've got this card so it's a very unique effect and one that has throughout history been demonstrated to be very useful Metaling Mage game. is really good for a number of reasons. The leader, right. and it was the original of its I mean, kind, card, but...
1: This card is not Meddling Mage, as we just said. <laughs> <know. laughs> but Far from it. it seems like it's uh, tailor-made for legacy enchantress.
0: Oh, man. No kidding. This and Stony Silence, if they really need it.
1: Yes. Stony but, Silence is actually just, yeah, it's amazing in that
0: deck. And just like Stony Silence, Nevermore has a handful of advantages in the, by virtue of not being a creature. Mm-hmm. It, it's not going to get red-blasted in Type 1. It's not going to get dismembered. That's funny, in, because, in because in those enchantress Chantrosects in
1: run nul, one null rod to, to, to <laughs> tutor up, right? <laughs> no, I know. Sterling Grove. Now they can run Stony Silence. Um, Boy, it
0: seems like one of the sub-themes of Innistrad here is just upgrades. <laughs> upgrades <laughs> to existing interactions.
1: You know, I, I di- this is a perfect entree to that discussion. What <laughs> I wanted to ask you is one of the things that I've been looking at sets more is broadly, you know, not just in their specifics, but... What is it that you sense, like, from the set as a whole? And one of the things that, go ahead, take a stab. You said upgrades. This is upgrades, but I think an upgrade speaks to something. What does upgrade speak to? Up- well, upgrade
0: literally means that there are cards that pre-exist these these cards that do similar effects. It speaks to a broader view of the game, the, the historic the historic game mm-hmm. about putting things into new bodies. I mean that. <laughs> Vaguely, taking a null rod and putting it into enchantment body, right. taking a meddling mage and putting it into enchantment, enchantment body, yeah, uh, or uh, putting things in different colors. We've yeah. seen, we didn't touch on it yet, but uh, well, what's the card that got moved from black to white? Um, we Coffin saw, purge.
1: We saw another card that got moved from green to blue.
0: Right. So, so there's cards moving in colors here. Yeah. There's some of them getting better in the process. Some yeah. getting worse, unfortunately. <laughs> and there's cards changing forms from creatures to right. enchantments, etc. It's a broader view of the whole history of the the game, The last block
1: was really strange. I mean, it was a strange block. The first set of Scars block was, you know, big, splashy artifacts. Plus like It was nothing like the original Mirrodin. It was like, the original Mirrodin was all these incredibly potent, powerful, broken things. Mm -hmm. Scars of Mirrodin was, like, the opposite. It was, like, tailor-made, big dinosaurs, you know, like, splashy effects, not... Mm-hmm. You know, spike cards per se, and the second two sets in the block were just bizarre. <laughs> I mean, they're like, like you said, like infect was a mechanic. I mean, obviously metalcraft was a mechanic, but the, but I mean,
0: the Phyrexian I mana really taints the, Phyrexian the Mena, whole thing.
1: Strange. It was just like all these these strange, like fast, you know, weird effects. This is a return to sort of the basics. This is a return to basics.
0: This set has no lack for weird effects when you look at Transform, but ultimately Transform <laughs> is not. It is not antithetical to so many things you think of it it's it feels natural it is a yeah. well designed mechanic, even though it's very strange from a mechanical standpoint, yeah once you, it's unusual once you've distilled it down to how it's going to play it's it's, not, it's
1: unusual but it's not bizarre
0: right it's unprecedented, but yeah. it's not you it's not unfathomable, <laughs> yeah, not sure from a card printing standpoint, it's a little off the charts, but right. still
1: but the cards and also the cards that are the best cards from the previous block are like. Mental Misstep, mm-hmm. you know, Slash Panther, you know, uh, Relic Water, Blightstool Colossus, you know, really, you know, like, extreme cards. Mm-hmm. The cards that are, seem to be the best in this set are, like, Stony Silence, you know, really, like, rock-solid, to basics core core-building-block cards. Yeah.
0: I also notice a lot of color pie movement in this set hmm. that you, 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 I know you're still partway through evaluating the whole set, but... Yeah. And you've been focused on vintage.
1: Right. My set review should be up this week.
0: (laughs) There's a whole lot of somewhat tribal-based but otherwise odd things that have been shifted around to make, and I think it's all from a design standpoint, to make all of these horror tropes work in other colors. Hmm. The red vampires is the thing that stands out to me Hmm. from that standpoint. I don't know why, but I still don't think that red and vampires works real well. I read the justification on it on the magic the Daily MPG site, and strictly speaking, it works. But the fact that these red creatures feeding off of other creatures and growing, hmm. there's some part of that that doesn't seem quite right to me. <laughs> so, and, and there's other color pie bleed things going on like here. you mentioned Coffin set. Purge. Yeah. yeah, and there's... Yeah, Coffin Purge just straight up moved from black to white. Which, white removing cards in graveyards is nothing new, but... There's all kinds of little things like that that makes this set seem very interesting. And the fact that white is so cloistered off at, at, for the human tribe, I know they set white up and the humans specifically to be basically the, the protagonists of this set and maybe this block. And so all the other colors have a certain feel to them. It's like a four-color, it's like the inverse of Torment, where black was oppressive. White just feels cloistered in this set. With its own mechanics, it's very more heavily focused on the human tribe. Meaning, it gets all, all, almost all its power from the human tribe. They feed off of each other, whereas all the other colors don't really have to feed off of each other. Vampires do fine by themselves. Werewolves <laughs> do fine by themselves. It's all the others, all the others individuals attacking the humans, and the humans have banded together. <laughs> it's very interesting. I, I, we can talk about it more once you've looked at every single card and, and yeah, taken it into whole. I the, have had
1: that. I mean, I've read so far. I've read through white and, and blue, and that's yeah. it. And there is a lot of reference to humans and things like that. And the I'm other like, thing, And the
0: resulted. other thing that stands out to me about this set is, mechanically, it's all over the place.
1: Hmm.
0: It's just all over the place. A little bit of flashback. A lot
1: of flashback, from the, what I've seen.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's a, fair, there's a fair bit. But then there's green, there's a little bit of tribal, but then there are these random cards that just go against the whole tribal aspect. Snapcaster Mage is a good example. It has nothing to do with the tribes of this set. It has nothing to do with this set at all, basically. Except that it involves the graveyard.
1: I think that's very... I mean, ex- from what I've seen, flashback is central to this set.
0: But it's a human wizard that just flashbacks a card. It's not... It Pass
1: into flames. All the yes.
0: other blue cards have to do with manipulating the graveyard, like moving the cards around, or exiling them to gain an effect. Like as an additional cost to play this creature. You've got to exile some creatures. It has all these requirements. I just think Snapcaster stands out. And then I think that there are all these other green beasties, giant insects, for example, that don't really fit any of the horror tropes, but they just needed something enormous to be a green dinosaur, so they picked a giant worm or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, I feel as though this set is kind of all over the place. Most colors have two tribes. We knew that going in.
1: I really, I really, I, 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 I I haven't sensed that, but I, what I've sensed is, what I've said is that it just seems like you're doing real basic cards, and I love it. Like, Nevermore. That's an alpha card. I mean, it's, right. it's like a Stony Silence, you know, it's these really simple building block cards. They're playable. They're not necessarily broken, mm-hmm. but they, you know, I mean, and even though Pass into Flames is somewhat complicated, it seems like a fixed Yawgmoth's will, in a sense. It's like...
0: But see, for every one of those very simple cards, there's a really out-there card... That is not simple like and what? doesn't make a whole lot of sense. There's a the black creature that Channel Fireball featured, one of the Morbid guys. His name is Skursgard. Hold on a second. got I got I to gotta pull him up because I'm always going to screw up the name. Skir, sorry, Skursdag High Priest. A two-casting cost 1-2 two Human Cleric. Morbid. Tap two untapped creatures you control. Put a 5-5 five five black demon creature token with flying onto the battlefield. Activate this ability only if a creature died this turn. That is not an elegant card. Mm. It has a it has an ability word, not a keyword. It has an ability word that's also post-seeded by tap and tap two creatures you control, and this ability has a condition that you can only do it here, and you have to have this and two other guys. Well, and yeah. then he randomly makes a five five flyer for no well, every defensible set has his
1: illusionary mask. I mean, I, what was the last set? What was that one card we saw as the most complicated card of all time? <laughs>
0: uh, uh, well. uh... uh the Jeez. ridiculous blue uh, card. I, I, the where candidates you... on that list are Raging River, Illusionary Mask, Ice Cauldron. No, 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 and
1: the blue card from a recent set. I think it was it was from, uh, it was either from the last was the last block or M12, where it's like you look at the top three cards and like you if your opponent plays a spell, you look at the top three cards again.
0: I'm <laughs> sorry, I, I'm completely blanking. It, it was what you're talking bizarre. About.
1: Well, we're like, what happens if there's multiple of these cards in play?
0: Oh, no, oh you, you can no longer hi- place. You're talking about Hive Mind. No, no, not not hive mind. Um, uh, knowledge pool. Yes, yeah, so knowledge, knowledge pool. Of card's ridiculous. I,
1: I mean, every set has to have one of those insane cards. But
0: see, this—it's not just about complexity. I, I didn't want to make it just about complexity. It's—it's it's as though this set just has a handful of random cards that just stand out to me as not fitting. They just needed another place to put something. And I'm sorry, but I'm I'm having a difficult time finding another example right now.
1: I, I will say this. I have these about the cur- white.
0: the yeah. curses, the curses. For example,
1: I don't know what you're talking about, but
0: it's it's a flavor thing. But all they did was create enchantments that have enchant player, basically, and they do some kind of vaguely negative effect. I don't, I didn't see any of those in white. And there's a, there's a transform card, Ludovic's test subject, mm-hmm. that is just a level up card in disguise. It's just a level well, up card with two levels that you can activate at any time. That's that's why I'm saying I feel like it's mechanically all over the place. They came up with transform. But there are about four different ways that cards transform, and with different trigger conditions. And this is the only one that has to be activated multiple times before you can actually get it to go. Well, I think
1: this this set...
0: And then there's another one which you could just voluntarily transform on your upkeep. The little girl that turns into the horror. Yeah. This That's what I'm saying. This, they're all transform cards, but they're all over the place from well, a mechanical standpoint. I do
1: think this set is schizophrenic in this sense. You have a lot of cards that are clearly tribal and only really relevant in this set and block. Right. I mean, there's, like, a creature, a white creature that says, like, protection from vampires, werewolves, and like, you know, what the F? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but now, then, that
0: makes sense from a right. block standpoint. But th- that
1: card isn't going to have endurance. It's not going to be an enduring card. Right. I mean, that card you won't, you wouldn't play, like, six years from now.
0: Look at this but guy. Then
1: you, but you will play some of these flashback cards six years from now.
0: Look at Delver of Secrets. The 1 blue casting costs 1-1 one, one human wizard. Common. At the beginning of your upkeep, look at the top card of your library. You reveal it. If it's an instant or sorcery, he transforms into an, a 3-2 an, flying insect. Yes. Now, mechanically, what does looking at the top card of your library and revealing an instant or sorcery have to do with anything else in this set? There's no deck manipulation on the top of your library in this whole set. It doesn't synergize with anything. And it turns into a human insect? Well, I like
1: the the white one that you you criticized. Well,
0: it's not about time. like. <laughs> I'm I mean, speaking I mean, about
1: flavor-wise. Flavor I liked that what that the cloistered youth. I thought it made sense. It's I'm like, I'm just you know, saying. The time comes, she becomes an, a fiend. You know.
0: My objection is not one about flavor; it's one about mechanics. This transform mechanic, which speaks to a flavor trope, is implemented in so many different ways here. Hmm. It 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 would be like cycling. It would be like, you remember when they first in, introduced cycling yeah, in Saga Block? Thing. It was all just basically two mana, cycle discard. Yeah. What if the first time they introduced cycling, there was there was return a land to your hand and pay two right. life and right. pay seven mana and discard a creature and sacrifice a creature and bounce an artifact? I mean, what if they'd done it seven different ways?
1: Well, you That's know the thing I'm, I'm, I'm noticing. Not, I'm not sure. Again, I haven't re- read all of them, but I think what I've seen from them is that you look at the casting cost of the first thing and you tr- basically to see what kind of bonus can you get from whatever... Conditions need to be satisfied. You're talking about transform. Yeah, transform, and so I'm, you know, I'm looking at it very much from that perspective, and from my perspective, like Cloistered Youth, you know, White One, uh-huh. you know, you get a three-three with a with a with a drawback, and
0: right. But the point is, that's the only one out of all the transform cards that you can just voluntarily transform on your I upkeep.
1: I understand that. The only one. But then there's the uh, the and Hyde one, you know, what? Like, and that's the only well,
0: one that triggers off a of, off of non mana activation. The triggers are different,
1: but the, I understand that you say <laughs> they're all unique, but I think they're they they're designed by flavor. Which makes sense, not by mechanics. And it that's, makes, that's and the unifying. That's the
0: reason why we have them, but yeah. that means that the set is very hard to evaluate as a set of magic cards. Hmm. As a storytelling trope, sure, the human fly, I got it. The little girl who turns into a ghost, I get it. The science experiment, sure, yeah. they're all horror tropes. Yes, that's by design. But from evaluating a magic set, it's all over the place. It's so difficult to evaluate. Well, this one the, card the girl, not,
1: the girl is not turning from a little girl into a, a, a ghost. The girl is Turning, turning into a horror... But still, no, no, the girl is turning in from a, uh, you know, a cloistered youth to a wild girl. She's some
0: uh, (laughs) some kind of uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Poltergeist? No! no. <laughs> right, yeah, I got no, you. No, no. Anyway, yes, obviously the flavor is the reason for this whole yeah. set, but In my point is, is, yeah. is that as we're doing a, uh, we're doing a well, set let's review. Let's talk about the next. Card. We don't review the flavor test. I understand. <laughs> let's talk about the next card. So we need to move on, and we need to talk about the headliner from this set. Is which that a, is, is that our next card? Yeah. yeah. Alright. So Snapcaster Mage. I don't think you can evaluate this set in any way that involves actually playing the game of Magic and not recognize that this is the best card in this set. (laughs) There are plenty of flavor reasons why you'd like one card over another, don't get me wrong. But this is by far and away going to be the number one card from this set for the rest of time. This is a Dark Confidant level card that will be played in almost every format that it's legal in, and it will be one of the best cards in almost every format that it's legal in. I say almost because this card... As many people have observed, this card scales with what's present in the rest of the format. Mm. A number of people have said it, but I'm thinking specifically about Chapin's article on Star City about how this card scales up directly with the quality of instance and cheap instance that you've got available to you in a format.
1: Well, uh, the first thing I'd say is you said Dark Confident. I don't know if it's quite there. I mean, because Dark Confident is arguably the best creature of all time.
0: I think this. I think this one is. Time will tell that this creature will be near the top of the list. Well, there, I do not think it's better are, than Dark Confidant. There are
1: ten invitational cards that have been printed. Okay. And half of those have seen play or continue to see play in vintage.
0: They're some. They, from a design standpoint, they developed the most aggressively good yeah. cards they could because they wanted their invitational winners to be poster children for the game. <laughs>
1: right, and the best
0: one. And they've only gotten better over time. Clearly,
1: Dark Confidant. Yeah. But. I think that even I think it's more likely this will be the second best invitational card of all time, which is still really good. That's my point. That's where I think <laughs> it'll be. I don't think it'll be better than Dark Confident. I think it'll be the second best one. Um, I think it's which be, is saying be something better than Meddling Mage and, and yeah. Psalm Simulacrum and etc.
0: This is another one of those cards that I think it will see play in Standard. I don't know. I beat
1: Tiago on the Invitational that year.
0: Nice. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) That's awesome. So this card
1: I beat both finalists. I'm not a
0: standard expert. I would yeah. be very surprised if this card didn't see some play in standard, but it's not maximized in standard for the reasons that Chapin and others identified, which is, is that eternal card it, 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 this card just scales up as you get right. access to more good instants. And so this card is going to be this at its absolute best in, the, yeah. in eternal. It's yeah. going to be unreal in vintage. I mean <laughs> obviously that the obvious apex of this card is flashing back ancestor recall. <laughs> Yeah. All, all of things being equal, you want yeah. to play this guy in Flashback Ancestral Recall. Yeah. But plenty of other top-tier vintage cards are are, are going to be and incredible. And Legacy, I think there's a... think there's actually been, be better in Legacy. There's, Legacy. A, there's a possibility, I was just about to say, that this card ends up being ultimately better in Legacy. Mm-hmm. More decks, more play over time. Yeah. Because vintage is kind of fickle. There's lots of things you can do. But yeah. hey, dark, you just took third place in Vintage Champs, and Paul took second with Dark Confidant decks...
1: I had Click a in card, my deck, too. In a card budget.
0: that's second place to that card, definitely there's a possibility that next year at Vintage Champs there will be some Snapcaster decks in I'm the top eight. I'm concerned
1: that this card might just kill Click, like not Click. Certainly on a Vintage, but even remove it out of Legacy. This card is so good.
0: This card takes a lot of the advantage that Click has and just does it even better.
1: Click is a 3-1.
0: And it flies. So yeah, it's a much fly. better guy, but... This one doesn't fly. Oh, my bad, yeah. yeah. The vintage is much better once... I'm sorry. Click is much better once you've got it in play. But also, this isn't legendary. Right. Click has, has was self-limiting in that respect. Right. And so this guy has some advantages there. And the selection... In, in Vintage, the problem with Click was frequently that... And this is something to be debated, but you didn't always get much value out of clicking your opponent in Vintage. Sometimes right. it was just a peek, mm-hmm. which has value but not much. You're not heavily disrupting them by just looking at their hand. Right. And sometimes you click yourself to get Blightsteel Colossus well, out of there. they also but
1: draw another card once you click them. I know. So clicking your opponent risk. in
0: Vintage has its drawbacks. Uh, f- uh, snapcastering uh, a good instant in your graveyard in this format is going to have almost no drawbacks. Yeah. So if you're Snapcastering a Brainstorm, it costs the same as your click would have anyway. Right. You're getting much more value out of the deal. Right. For one less power and no flying. But I foresee num- a number of games in Vintage ending with two or three <laughs> Snapcaster Mages coming in for the kill. Yeah. That kind of thing is probably going to happen. There's
1: just so many things that you can flash back. I mean, turn one Thoughtseize, turn two Snapcaster Mage Thoughtseize. Yeah. Turn one Preordain, turn two Snapcaster Mage Preordain. You know, um, turn one Vampiric Tutor, turn two Snapcaster Mage Vampiric Tutor, turn three Timeball Key. Wow. Unbelievable. And I was actually thinking how insane this card might power up Imperial Seal because of that sequence. I mean, Imperial... Good
0: point. Because, well, the vamp third play is EOT, but if you have a bunch of extra mana, you can even make that play on your upkeep. How nutty is that? You just go, land mocks go, it's kind of an innocuous start, you vamp on their end step. Oh, you'd have to draw the card before vamping on your upkeep again. So you can't, you'd have to draw a card in between. It's not impossible, but it makes it much less likely. But still, being able to Snapcast your Vamp on your upkeep, that's insane. How yeah, awesome all the
1: top deck tutors become a lot better because you can do it twice. It only takes sequence. 5 mana
0: to Snapcast, Vamp, just Time Walk for value on your turn, mm-hmm. which could easily happen on turns 3 or 4. Wow. Well, we don't need to belabor the point that this card is good. The yeah. question is, then becomes, how good is it? What does it right. go in? It's very similar to the sequence what, of questions we would ask what, for any new printing. What's, what's
1: most unusual about the card, we've never had a creature that's one blue. That's I,
0: this. I wanted to hit on that. You and I talked at length about Azure Mage just because yes. of its casting cost. Yes. And its when potential for card advantage. right was that, months ago now? Right. Oh, yeah. And this yeah. card, this card just fills that is role. that same body, and it has flash, and yeah. it has more immediate card advantage. So obviously, we're looking at the potential for a blue-based deck to finally have a two-casting-cost creature that's really relevant yes. in blue that doesn't yes. have to dip into Tarmogoyf's or Bob's or any number of other things. So, my question to you is: Does this deck imme- does this card immediately go into some existing deck? Really the, hard, hard to say. Your your vintage champs list, would you cut bobs for Snapcasters? Would you cut trigons for hard Snapcasters?
1: This is a car that I feel has a billion synergies, <laughs> but it will take a long it will take a little bit of time to figure out which of those are illusory and which of those are really powerful. Right. And then how to maximize those synergies in the right configurations.
0: Because I, I there's already, so much it can do. I can already tell you that main phase snapcaster for preordain while it's good value
1: is not what you want is to do. not
0: where i want to be in this format exactly <laughs> it's, it's it's i would equate that to uh, Seagate Oracle you know it's it's a fair play and you and you get value out of it but it's not that great right. it's not very bombastic and it, you don't want to be tapping out all the time especially be, one of the synergies with this card is playing with other one casting cost counters like spell pierce this guy is obviously good with spell pierce and so if I'm faced with a scenario where I'm holding this guy and Spell Pierce and I've played a Preordain on turn one, I'm going to have to really powerfully debate sometimes whether or not I feel like paying three mana to fix my hand some more or hold up that Spell Pierce. And if I've got no other options, then I'm, I'm really cutting myself off if my opponent doesn't play a Pierceable spell. Yeah. Anyway, that's just one of example of dozens of in-game debates. Right. Like Factor Fiction, I think this guy increases skill a lot in this format. Yes. By giving you so many more options. Yes. Skill from a deck-building and its gameplay standpoint.
1: Yes. I mean, my my fear is that this card is, like I said, going to really break these tutors. I hope it, that's not the case. Like, I hope it's not just like Vintage becomes so much more about Time Vault because Snapcaster facilitates finding and assembling Time Vault. I hope it's more like mm-hmm. Snapcaster is very good general utility mm-hmm. and then you know has home in, in sort of extending games and, and doing you know things in unusual ways yeah
0: yeah it, you're right it would be good if it, what it did was made the format more diverse <laughs> and yeah. we can always just hope that it doesn't ruin things but fortunately that it would only really have a powerfully amplifying effect on two of those tutors on mystical and vamp And Mystical can't get... Imperial
1: Seal, it's really broken with.
0: No, it's not really broken with. It's less broken than Vamp, by definition. And Mystical can't get you Key Vault reliably. Turn one Imperial Seal.
1: Right. Turn two Snapcaster, you know.
0: Snapcaster, Imperial Seal. But the thing about that play is it's pretty telegraphed, right? It is. And unless you had a lot of mana, at that point you're holding one half of Key Vault in your hand and the other half is on top of your deck. It's relatively easy to disrupt that play. I don't think that particular play is going to be a, become a dominant sequence in the format. Yeah. It's just the vamp play is much more frightening because, especially if it's combined with any kind of other draw, if you could say gush on your upkeep. Think about this sequence. It's turn two, right? Maybe we played preordains on the first couple turns, but it's turn two and I pass the turn with two lands in play and a mox. Okay. And all I've done is preordain. Yeah. You go and you tap out for something. You tap out for Jace, for example. Because you have uh-huh. a little extra mana and you're confident that this Jace is going to ride the end of the game. Yeah. On your end step, not only do I vamp and put Voltaic Key on top, yep. but then on my upkeep, I gush, I float two blue, I gush that key into my hand, I cast Snapcaster with the two blue, vamp on my upkeep for Time Vault, and then play Key and Vault that turn. Yeah. Like I say, all you need to do is draw in between their end step and your upkeep. To you're make back. that double vamp play plus a snapcaster two well, for two cards.
1: Here's here consider this real simple sequence: turn one imperial seal for ancestral, mm-hmm. turn two ancestral recall, um, that's it. Land ancestral recall, maybe like hold up a spell pierce or yeah. something. Turn three snapcaster ancestral. Yeah. And then you know yeah. turn four snapcaster again flashback the imperial seal for tinker and then win with tinker. I mean <laughs> that sort of sequence really, is you're using the imperial seal twice. But yeah. you're not using any other cards from your hand besides the Snapcaster, so you're just holding you know, answers. That's right. The only cards you spent s- out of
0: your hand at that point are Imperial Seal and two Snapcasters. Yes. And you've played one, Ancestral. two, three re- restricted cards. And you're just
1: going its <laughs> straight from Ancestral to Tinker. I right. mean, that's the sort of thing... Four, yeah, that four can, restricted cards. That's the sort of thing that concerns me, is that sort of linear sequencing. Mm-hmm. All you need is, like, a force and a spell pierce, and you, like, win
0: the game. Yeah. But on the flip side... What if you didn't draw the Imperial Seal that hand? If Imperial is preordain. You, you know, right, right, but right, you right, have the. You know, you got you're Mystical,
1: getting, Vamp, and Imperial Seal, and DT. Yeah. So you've got a lot of ways to make that, that sort of sequence happen.
0: Right. So there's a risk that it speeds up the format. But on the flip side, we already have regrowth. The, the fact that it's a 2 1 body doesn't really right. matter in the, what you but just it described.
1: Does. It does, because if they stop your tinker. You're attacking for four a turn.
0: But it doesn't really... The fact that you got a Grizzly Bear out of that deal doesn't really influence how broken that play is. You just described a win with Tinker. It just the four damage you got in is irrelevant yeah. with Lightsteel Colossus in place. So the point is, we've already had unrestricted regrowth for a year. For yeah. how long have we had unrestricted regrowth? Years?
1: Since 1994. Yeah.
0: So the fact that you can just pay two mana to replay a restricted card is not Sorry. a new concept.
1: Restricted regrowth, yes. Yeah. Regrowth is restricted.
0: Right. But, but there are... Um, dozens of regrowths, though, that you can play. You can play nostalgic dreams. Yeah. You can play a whole bunch of other cards. But it's it's the versatility,
1: it's the flash and everything else that makes this card.
0: I just think being able to double up on restricted cards so, I just, is I, not necessarily the the fact that this guy is flash and can double up on certain value instants. plus of, doing that. I is think one of the things the that we've thing. seen
1: advantage over time is that value of a card doesn't necessarily come from one thing mm-hmm. but it comes from multiple things and when you have so many branch options yeah. and you can always like as between like the 12 possibilities you can select the least one least resistance and tends to be like time vault key or tinker I just hope that this doesn't facilitate those.
0: Well, you make a good point. Any good Snapcaster list is going to have a handful of strategies at its disposal. It's probably going to have some disruptive spells. It's going to have some cantrips. It's going to have the restricted stuff, obviously. And just like any good vintage combo control deck, it's going to have the ability to switch gears into game-ending mode in a variety of scenarios. Right. Right. You're going to be sitting with Snapcaster Mage in your hand in some games, and you're going to say, well, what should I do with this? And then as soon as you think that, you're going to draw a Vamp Tutor. And you're going to say, well, there it is. Off to the races. (laughs) I'm going to set up Key Vault next turn, or I'm going to set up Tinker plus Time Walk next turn or something. Right. And the answer is just going to be made for you by virtue of your dual access to a Vamp. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that speaks to the card's power, and it speaks to... We'll just have to evaluate how geez how fast it takes over things (laughs) but it's also competing with other two ones for two right do you think Snapcaster and Confidant go in the same deck I mean I don't see why not Confidant synergizes with cheap instants just as well okay maybe not just as well but in a similar way hard to say yeah (laughs) <laughs> and I really like the synergy of Snapcaster with simple sideboard cards, too. Swords to Plowshares, Nature's nice. Claim, uh, Red Elemental Blast. Mm-hmm. He just doubles up the efficacy of sideboard cards, too. So, to your point about speeding up games due to doubling tutors, yeah, he also yeah, could yeah. lengthen games by doubling up access to sideboard cards. I mean, how much longer is a blue-on-blue matchup going to go if you both have effectively twice as many revs at your disposal? <laughs> <laughs> You could find much more card drawing. All those gushes and factor fictions you're trying to announce, and Jace get so much more easily undone if there's Rebs flying back and forth twice as often. And that speaks to the skill aspect. I really think this card is going to ramp up skill from all aspects of the format. Maybe. I mean,
1: the one thing about skill is that even though there are a lot of decisions, once the decisions become routinized, mm-hmm. everyone knows the patterns, and then they just execute them. Unlike Factor Fiction, where the patterns always are different. You see, different.
0: I don't entirely agree. Because, as I said before, any good Snapcaster deck is going to have multiple strategies. Mm-hmm. Think about the scenario where you're in the mid game, both players have four, five, six mana at their disposal, and a simple spell is announced, and the other player responds with Snapcaster. Player A announces a simple card, Time Walk. Yeah. Innocuous, it's not going to be game ending. Player B responds with Snapcaster. Player A, thinking about how they're going to respond, takes a look at their graveyard and sees <laughs> Reb, Vamp, Brainstorm. You know, at, this, at that point, that's where the skill comes in. How is this Snapcaster actually going to be responding to right. my time walk? Are they, are they, is he countering it? Is he going to tutor in response? Is he going to just Brainstorm for value? That's where the skill comes in, at which point... I think this card becomes fantastic for the format.
1: I also like the way in which it interacts with Jace. So, in many ways, interacts with Jace. Proactively
0: yeah. and defensively, it's it does all kinds of interactions with Jace that are incredible. Yeah. You get more value. You can bounce it yourself.
1: To attack a Jace because you can attack.
0: Flash. Yeah, it's very interesting. Synergizes with Jace, helps fight against Jace. That's the thing. This card does almost all of that. It synergizes with stuff and helps fight <laughs> you know, against the same stuff. I can
1: I can, I can mention every single interaction possible with yeah. this card and vintage but the card is still an enigma to me
0: yeah i mean well, it's like fascinating i can
1: tell you you know i can i can flash back thought seas, ponder preordain, brainstorm ancestral time walk dt I, I can line up all the sequences but it's still in my mind strategically and tactically is enigmatic and i think that that speaks to the way in which it, it seems to do a little bit of everything but the ways in which it's going to be configured and lined up mm-hmm. to be optimal aren't, aren't clear
0: we are big into discussing the lines of play in Vintage, but in this case, especially, there's no substitute for testing. Yes. there are, yeah. And there are dozens upon dozens of permutations of deck-building yes. ways to approach this card. Yes, with counterintuitive
1: so, results. Yeah,
0: so we cannot... We cannot... Um, propose strongly enough that our listeners sleeve this up in various configurations and just give it a try. We think you'll find some very interesting and, as Steve said, possibly conflicting results. (laughs) (laughs) And in addition to all of that, now this card, Dinosaurs and Man, Together Living with Factor Fiction, Snapcaster yeah. made in sna- and Factor Fiction. <laughs> I can't wait to Snapcaster a factor fiction the first time in my life. Maybe it might it not will. end it might not end up well for me, because that's a six mana play and I'm not really a favor of those, but but there's just so much potential value <laughs> at stake. And Snapcastering or factor fictioning into a Snapcaster that'd be pretty fun too. That'd be amazing. I don't know. This card's all over the place. Steve, any final thoughts on Innistrad?
1: I, I really, I mean, I think anytime you have five cards that have a strong possibility of seeing play mm-hmm. in vintage, it's a successful set. I think uh, it's. I think this is an, a successful set. I think this set will should do pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm very much looking forward to seeing what the next two sets have.
0: Yeah, so am I. Next up, we'll move on to some listener feedback. Steve, let's kick off with our question of the week from last week, which was what does modern mean for the future of eternal magic? Mm -hmm. We did get some feedback on this from a few of our readers via email and otherwise. What do you think?
1: Well, I think that modern signals the eventual replacement of legacy as the number two constructed format, Mm -hmm. and um, the DCI in Wizards Seem very serious about Modern. I mean, serious as a heart attack, right? I mean, they, at the last possible moment, announced that they would be replacing an existing Pro Tour format with Modern, right? Mm -hmm. And then, in the first possible opportunity, transformed it again.
0: Right. They've done... With sweeping announcements. They've done as much as they possibly could... For this format, basically, in a very short period of time. Right. They have de- they have demonstrated clear dedication to it and making it successful in the long run. They
1: channeled tremendous energies into it.
0: Yeah. And Maybe I, too
1: much, actually.
0: I'm on record as saying, I think, that, that Modern will generally take over for Legacy in a number of different areas.
1: We'll take time, but I, I agree. Yeah.
0: It won't happen immediately. Star City Games is already on the schedule with Legacy opens for the first part of How ne- this was next the coming modern,
1: year. Uh, pro- um, the Sorry. How big do you think a, a modern GP would be?
0: I don't see how it wouldn't compete with the Legacy size. Right. Cards are easier to get. Format's right. exciting.
1: People love the format. Doesn't
0: quite have the history yet, so Legacy's history is probably bringing some of the draw. Right. But it would be it would be enormous performance. Uh, I'm sorry, enormous attendance. It would be over a thousand, I'm sure, depending on location. So, I'll be very surprised if we don't have by this time next year if we haven't had a modern GP already. They might change one at the last minute like they did for the Pro Tour. They might not, but but uh, I don't think there's any denying it. All the feedback we got and our instincts all tell us and point to this direction. Mm-hmm. So Legacy's going to end up basically like Vintage. Those that are loyal to it really yeah, love the it. format. And the Vintage champs and the Legacy champs might be about the same size <laughs> you know, for the, the foreseeable future uh, after the next couple of years. That leads us then to our next question of the week. Now that Factor Fiction has been released, what is the next best unrestrictable card in vintage? Tell us. You can tell us what you think. Tweet us at many insane plays or email us at so many insane plays podcast at gmail.com. And
1: don't forget to follow us on Twitter.
0: Absolutely, follow us at many insane plays. Thank you for listening to episode eight, and until next time, we wish you many insane plays. It is not safe protective
1: game! <laughs> <laughs>